Welcome to The Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. We'd like to bring back one of our favorite guests, Dr. Randy Anderson, president and of Griffin Capital Asset Management Company, a non-traded and interval REIT firm specializing in real estate and credit funds with dozens of projects uh, worth over $17 billion in assets. Randy, welcome. Welcome back to Strategic Investor Radio. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be here. So, Randy, a little of your background. You've got a Ph.D. in finance from University of Alabama, so I presume you have a statue of Nick Saban in your backyard. Yeah, in fact, they don't let you walk across the stage unless you are an Alabama football fan, and, <laughs> and they actually revoke it if you don't continue to follow it and keep Nick Saban right there handy. <laughs> I can appreciate that. I, I was born in Birmingham, probably related to half of the state there, so uh, obviously from my accent, I moved away. Uh, my parents moved away when uh, we were all much, much younger, but uh, great place, great people, great food, and uh, glad you were able to, to be there. So your focus has been on economics and and uh, real estate. You have been a founding partner of Blue Rock Real Estate, Franklin Square Capital Partners. You've been the chief economist and uh, division president for CNL. You've been the chief economist for Marcus Milchap and with uh, Prudential Real Estate Advisors. And uh, you've been a professor at University of Central Florida. And uh, I saw you just the other day on an Asset TV interview with Ian Bremmer. That must have been fun. Oh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was a, it was a, it was a good time being up in New York, and there was a lot of interesting, as you know, a lot of interesting topics uh, today, both on the geopolitical, economic, and real estate fronts. It's been a good time uh, to go out and uh, be able to talk about the economy and the markets. Yeah, and Ian Bremmer's always an interesting guy to to oh, be around great. here. So yeah, great, great to hear. So, Randy, give us a, a brief background of yours. Fill in some things that people may want to know here. Well, you know, I think, uh, you know, the way you sort of describe my backgrounds is, is a little interesting and unique, and it's, uh, it's I think, a little bit why our approach to investing is a bit different. I, I have kind of a half of a career uh, as an academic and, and half of a career as, a, as an industry investment professional, and we really try to bring those concepts together and create um, funds that, in, in projects and securities that use the best of um, what the academic literature says combined with the practical experience of what happens in real time in the markets. And so, you know, really what we try to do is do a research-driven type uh, strategies. We uh, use, you know, modeling, quantitative testing, back testing, and research in order to drive our decision-making process. So, you know, from, from my point of view, I've had an interesting background, a lot of fun, work with a lot of smart people at those firms that you mentioned. Those are great firms, a lot of good friends and colleagues there, and they've really helped uh, form who I am, as well as spent a lot of time down there in Alabama, you know, stuck in, uh, stuck in my room reading through a lot of textbooks and looking through the finance theory. So tell us, what does Griffin Capital do, uh, where, and how? So Griffin Capital is an over 20-year firm, 20-year-old firm, and we are exclusively in the what's called you know considered the alternative space, and primarily really real estate. You know Griffin uh, started out doing a lot of uh, sort of just private placement deals. We would buy uh, deals that people would use for tax exchanges. So you know you, you buy a building, you know maybe somebody bought a fourplex and they 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 made a lot of money on it, but the asset's been depreciated. They want to sell it rather than paying the taxes. We'd provide an investment vehicle that they could go buy in a ten 
1031 exchange, and then they could continue to grow their investments in real estate into a larger, more diversified kind of property. We kind of grew from there. Uh, we continue to do those uh, to do these 1031 exchanges very effectively. It's a nice tax-efficient mechanism for investors. We grew to do um, a business in a re- in a REIT structure. We have our own uh, in-house um, team that, that uh, is recently uh, actually uh, became internalized a self-managed REIT called the Griffin Essential Asset REIT, and focuses on industrial and office properties that are that are sort of critical, if you will, or essential uh, for the company. So it's a corporate headquarters or it's an industrial property that, you know, quite frankly, is something that's really important in the distribution chain. And then it's really what I do on the other side of the business where we actually invest in, in, in funds and the ability to buy securities, both on the real estate side through our Griffin Institutional Access Real Estate Fund. We buy both public and private real estate securities. And we also have a credit solution that we do in conjunction with Bain Capital, where we invest all up and down the alternative uh, credit spectrum from bank loans all the way to non-performing uh, global-type uh, uh, portfolio positions. So basically focused on the alternative investment. We focus on low-volatility products, high-income products, and products that hopefully will be a nice diversifier for the portfolio. So real estate securities, define that for our listeners. Are we talking about stocks uh, of, of home builders, that kind of thing? So we're focused really in, in, in two areas. So on the, the real estate side, I would say there's some there's liquid and less liquid uh, type positions. So on the liquid side, uh, we invest in you know publicly traded securities. So we invest in you know uh, for example a publicly traded REIT. You know like Simon Property Group would be a well known REIT um, or EQR Equity Residential. So we buy on the public side liquid publicly traded REITs primarily. Um, we also you know have the ability to move up and down the capital stack and you know buy some preferred and uh, some, some real estate debt positions as well, but those are you know uh, more liquid-type positions. On the private side, we invest um, in really part of the, the name of, the, of our product is an institutional access fund, so we actually invest in these institutional private REITs um, that are, are large REITs. They're diversified. They invest in office, industrial, multifamily, and retail properties um, all across the United States. Some of these private REITs, are, they're, just, they're just securities that aren't traded on a, on a public exchange change. You know, there some of them are have been around since the 70s. They, some of them have, you know, 10, 20 uh, plus billion dollars of assets. They buy Class A properties primarily uh, in Class A markets, really good quality markets, and they, they do them primarily with low levels of debt and leverage. So a real defensive kind of real estate positioning. And, you know, again, kind of tying back to my academic uh, work, a lot of the literature says, hey, if you combine these more private real estate securities with the public, you can provide a really nice risk-adjusted return for the investor. So we all know, uh, Randy, you better than uh, probably uh, any of the rest of us here, that we've been in a bull market for real estate for some time. Uh, What kind of opportunities do you see going forward, both geographically and type of real estate, and, 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 and why? Yeah, so you know, when, when when you think about real estate, first first and foremost, I, I like to think about three kind of boxes. You know, one is fundamentals. At the end of the day, fundamentals are the most important because real estate, particularly the kind of real estate that we focus on at Griffin, is really core real estate. We're not really focused on doing a lot of twenty, thirty kind of IRR deals where you're doing development or heavy value add. We're focused on just sort of high quality product that provides a nice strong income stream, if you will, to the investor. So in those cases, we. Want 
want to make sure that the fundamentals are good because the majority of return should come, if you will, from the income stream. So how do you get good income? You get income when the demand is strong relative to the supply. So what we, what we do is we look across primarily the four main food groups and look at those characteristics. And right now, as we sit there today, we can check box number one in that the supply and demand characteristics are good. The economy is growing, and it's growing at a relatively slow rate, and we've been really far out in the curve in terms of fundamentals. Uh, we have had, uh, I mean, excuse me, in terms of our economic forecast, we've been calling for about a 1.5% to 2% GDP growth for the last couple of years for 19 and 20, meaning that we think there's not a very low probability of recession, but not huge growth. But it's still enough growth to create additional demand for real estate, and the supply that we've seen um, is very, very low compared to historical standards. So occupancy is very high across all the main property types. Vacancy is low, and therefore we've seen a lot of NOI growth. So in general, fundamentals are strong. And I'll come back to some property types here in a second. The the second thing is kind of looking at, you know, pricing. So, listen, pricing is not cheap. This is not 2010 where, you you know, no matter what you buy, um, you're going to buy it and it's just going to go up because you bought it at the very bottom of the market. The prices are not cheap. However, they're nowhere near where they were sort of in 2006 and 2007. When you start looking at pricing, you've got to look at it relative to sort of a bond yield or a 10-year treasury spread. And, you know, going back to 2006 and 2007, it was really crazy. When real estate's supposed to have a total return, that's income plus appreciation, and people literally were paying so much for real estate that the income return was a lower return than you could get for, for a riskless asset on some properties, meaning you basically got no income. You're betting 100% of your return on appreciation. Well, that's a mismatch because real estate's all about the income. So today, you look at it and you say, listen, the income that real estate's generating, these good quality income, the relationship between it and bond spreads or it and the 10-year treasury is really at its historical norm. So while it's not cheap, while it's not 2010, it's nowhere near where it was in 2006 and 7. So pricing isn't cheap. It's about fair value. Now, what does that mean going forward, though? Well, you got to make sure supply stays in check, which it looks like it's going to do. But you got to continue to watch the economy and watch the strength of the economy as it slows. Some property types will do better than other property types as we move forward. Some economies and some markets will do better than others. The last box before coming back to that again is demand. Do people want real estate? Do they think that real estate you know, will be a good investment going forward relative to where they can put their other dollar? You know, uh, you know the funny thing is you always got to realize that even in the short term, where one and two are the most important, the short term can simply be where the capital is getting driven. So we look at is there dry powder, is there institutional demand, and that becomes a relative question. So with the stock market at very high valuations in terms of price to earnings, with the bond market having a lower yield and higher duration than historical standards, and people either fearing rates rising, which is a funny thing to talk about today with the Fed probably being a little bit more dovish, but even if rates don't move much in terms of the base, the spreads will widen out as the economy uh, grows. So on a relative basis, because of the strong fundamentals and at least reasonable pricing, there's plenty of demand out there for real estate. So we're in pretty good shape on those three boxes. Now, they're not all going to fare equally. We're very bullish um, on multifamily because as the economy slows, multifamily does pretty well. People need a place to live. It's defensive. The housing market's gotten much more expensive and rates are higher. So again, high propensity to rent, strong demographics, very defensive asset class if the economy slows even further. So we like that. We like industrial. 
the industrial markets is, is very strong. Some of it is really driven by the strength in e-commerce, and we think we're still in relatively early innings of that movement of e-commerce and the need for storage space outside of the traditional sticks and bricks retail. So those are the asset types that we probably like the most. I would tell you that you know office is still in good shape, but you always got to be a little bit careful with office as the economy slows down a bit, because you know you lose a tenant on the multifamily side, you lose a person. You lose a tenant on the office side, you might lose a, you know floor. So you got a you know you got a building and a law firm makes up floors one and two. It's a four story building. You could lose a lot of you could lose a lot of tenants, and the cost of releasing is a lot more expensive than bringing a new tenant in on multifamily. So right now it's in good shape. Supply and demand fundamentals are in good shape, um, but nonetheless you just need to be a little bit more careful there, particularly if the economy slows a bit. Lastly, retail is a tale of have and have not. If you're in something that's an experiential retail, you know we're here in California, so if you go down to uh, Rodeo Drive, it's packed. People are bumping into you and they're spending money and walking out with bags uh, full of goods. You're in, uh, you know, you're in a nice grocery anchored center in a town with a lot of homes. You're on the drive home side of the road. Those are working well. You go to a second tier mall, kind of outside of the driving hub. Everything in those malls are stores that people could buy online. If the doors are wide enough, you could probably drive in. So retail is really a, a world of sort of have and have not. You got to be careful there. Great opportunities, great growth. Some of the best investment opportunities there. You don't want to throw uh, throw out the good um, uh, asset types in retail and say all retail is poor. You just got to be a lot more selective in that asset type today, given the growth in technology and the continued growth in retail sales. Right. Randy, how how about geography? Uh, Do you like the big urban centers? Do you like secondary markets? Tertiary? What what do you like geography wise going forward? So, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, you know, we Gateway always does really well. So the good markets are always supply constrained and there's always demand for them and they're liquid. Um, Right now, we also really like, I would say, sort of the markets between sort of 10 and 25. So, you know, markets that aren't, you know, as big as a New York or Los Angeles or San Francisco provide a lot of the same characteristics of a dynamic vibrant economy, a diversified economy, growth in the marketplace, and the pricing is a little bit more favorable. What we don't like is going outside of really high-quality markets later in an economic cycle. So, I'll you know, I'll give you, you know, I'll give you a little example on that. So, take a. Um I'll go back to my, you know, one of my older days, almost, you know, before the global crisis, back in the, just everything was just growing so crazy. Uh, I was out in San Francisco. I was doing some work for a company called Marcus and Millichap. Uh, I was chief economist for them, and we we saw cap rates in San Francisco uh, get pretty low, and they were so low that the spread between uh, cap rates in San Francisco and Oakland were at all time all time uh, wide levels. So you go in there, and all of a sudden, you know, it should be maybe 300 basis points different, let's say, in terms of, you know, initial yield or cap rates, and there were 400. So it made sense to go buy some property, say, in an Oakland. But all of a sudden, as the market kept style drifting over and over and moving away from the better markets, those cap rates in Oakland started to move down. They would go from, you know, they went from that 400 basis point spread down to 300, down to 200, down to 100, to basically you were paying the same price in terms of yield for not as good a property in a less good market as you were in a great core market. And when the, when the economy fell apart, we had the global financial crisis, everything just fell really apart in those sort of secondary markets. And in the core markets, they stayed much, much stronger. So um, I would tell you that given where we are in the economic cycle, I think it's important to stay in markets that are supply constrained, where the demand's there, where the economies are diversified. And I think you may, while you may get another six months or a year of better returns in some of the more – 
uh, tertiary markets, I think right now you're taking on a lot more risk uh, if the economy happens to slow a bit further. Interest rates, Randy, uh, where do you see them going and how do you see that impacting the kinds of projects you guys are in? So, you know, interest rates are, 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 are and continue to be uh, low, and we believe that the Fed um, will continue to be fairly dovish because there, there certainly are trends showing that the economy uh, is slowing down both in the U.S. And, and, and globally. So if you look at the U.S., say, 10-year Treasury, which everybody focuses on, one of the reasons that it's, it has a hard time to go up is if you look at the difference between the 10-year Treasury and the U.S. and the, sort of the average of the equivalent to the 10-year Treasury across the globe, that's Red is near an all-time high, meaning that on a risk-adjusted basis, you've got in the U.S. a you know, relatively strong economy, a very liquid, very safe, very secure treasury market. Um, and so it's yielding much more than, say, what's going on in Germany, right? So right. that's another good, strong economy. So international capital flows keep coming in. So it's really tough for that 10-year treasury to grow, given the fact that the economy is not likely to grow you know, fast at a sort of 3% growth rate going forward, and the fact that our yield is, is pretty high when you look at it on a risk-adjusted basis in a global market. Well, we, we appreciate that. So, so tell us, in years of experience here, what misperceptions uh, have you seen and do you see by investors and advisors in the kind of real estate projects you guys are in? What are they missing often? Well, so, you know, a lot of times people think about real estate, you know, as a deal as opposed to a long-term allocation. And uh, I think, you know, historically, uh, people think about their real estate. Well, I've already got real estate because, I, you know, I own a house. Or I have real estate because I have a rental property in a particular market. And if you think about it, real estate's the third largest asset class out there. And so, you know, finance theory would say that you are taking a big bet against the efficient frontier if you don't allocate appropriately to alternatives. So I think rather than thinking about it episodically, like here's an interesting deal or there's an interesting deal, we take the approach that you're always going to be in stocks, you're always going to be in bonds. You also need a solution for the third largest asset class, which is which is real estate. And there's a lot of things you can do up and down that risk return spectrum in order to generate returns. But you know, in our in, in our in our mind, it's a long-term solution. It's how institutions invest, and they don't invest in it just episodically. They invest in it uh, for long-term for portfolio diversification reasons. And we just are trying to provide solutions that make sense uh, for the long term for investors as they try to build long term uh, good risk adjusted portfolios so people can quite frankly have a good quality of life today and hopefully tomorrow as they sort of enter in those retirement years. Hey, well, that, that's an excellent, excellent response. We appreciate that. So tell us, uh, change the subject here. What is the best advice you've uh, heard, read, or received about investing? And this is from a guy who spent an entire career in the world of finance and has a Ph.D. So, so enlighten us here, will you? Well, you know, I'm going to use a personal experience rather than focus on anything, you know, even that we do here in the company, although we use those principles every day in the company. So um, every time I've tried to invest on a personal basis, you know, if, uh, you know, a friend has a company that's doing X, Y, or Z, um, or there's a new hot trend. But if it's something that you don't really understand, you don't really understand the risk that you're taking, and you end up making a mistake. So, you know, if you don't fully understand the drivers of the demand, the drivers of the supply, if you don't understand why a particular company um, can create value. If you don't understand why a particular company or a particular opportunity can put a moat around their business, then you shouldn't invest in it. And if you can't really answer those questions, 
you're taking risks that you don't understand. And I've, every time I've taken risks I don't understand, um, you know, you, you sort of get what's called the winner's curse. The reason I was able to participate in that investment is because the people that are experts in that investment didn't want it. So, uh, you know, stick to your knitting, stick to what you know. And then the last thing I would say is, you know, you know, stay, stay invested. You know, uh, it's, it's, it's impossible to perfectly time the market. So take a good, balanced, reasonable approach. Uh, and, you know, and don't, and don't be afraid. Look at the long-term trends and adjust your risk uh, and allocations accordingly. The winner's curse. I'm going to quote you all month on that. Here, I, <laughs> sure. I have not heard that before. So yeah. a question we like to ask all of our guests, what keeps you awake at night? Well, you know, uh, what keeps me awake at night is is that we, um, you know, take our jobs very seriously. We have individual uh, investment money in there. You know, we're we're not, you know, it's, it's we're not investing with a giant with giant institutions. We're investing for mom and dads with their retirements. And so every day we wake up and when I say we worry about everything. We worry that we've got the allocations right, the sectors right, we're in the right part of the capital stack, uh, and, and and that we also do everything, um, you know, in a very uh, Precise manner. Uh, so basically, everything keeps us awake at night. Now we're confident. We've been doing this for a long time, and you know you got to step up when you're in the seat and pull the trigger and do the right and, and make the right investment calls. But um, we spend every minute of every day looking and digging through the research to figure out what we can do to make sure we're doing our jobs and just, you know discharging those jobs appropriately because this is very this is very serious. You know people uh, people were, it's hard to save a dollar. And, you know I just moved out to California, uh, and you know my, it was it's a state of the incredible shrinking paycheck so I know every dollar is hard to get uh, and certainly you don't want to lose any particularly as you get closer and closer to those retirement days. Well, well welcome to California here Andy. That's right. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Doing, my, here. doing my part. Yeah. So the, the second question we'd like to ask all of our guests what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners and I'm sure with a PhD you've got lots of them on the list here. Yeah, and I'm you know, and I, I'm also a little probably, probably a little bit of an outlier in, in what I find is uh, interesting reading. You know, the first uh, book that I would just tell you that's sort of a more uh, more generic business book and in line with people uh, you know look at, and it's not generic at all in terms of the content. Is I, I you know I love the book Principles by Ray Dalio that came out. I mean, I think it takes an, you know a really if you sort of you know look behind it, it's really a little bit of showing some humility in that one, no matter how smart they are, needs to look at the ideas. They need to have transparency. Uh, and it really provides a decision-making framework. Whether you're an investment professional um, or any kind of person, uh, in, you know, that needs to make sort of business decisions going forward, understanding a construct and having a construct to make decisions, I think, is very well thought through. So whether you agree with everything or not, I think gives you a lot of things to think about. Very thought-provoking. I love that. Now, secondly, and this is where I probably differ than some of the guests, I spent a lot of time reading academic journals. So the last three, I was just thinking about what are the last three things I read, and, well, one of them I read last night. So um, I love the Journal of Portfolio Management. It's a finance journal, but they focus on, you know, really practical, applied um, in, uh, theory uh, that, that really is it's things I do every day. So what I read last night was Great Expectations, a Tactical Asset Allocation Framework for Diversified Real Asset Portfolios. And, you know, you know, you, you know my, my enjoyment, what, what relaxes me at night is, uh, is, is reading through a lot of those top journals. I spent, you know, uh, more than a decade editing the Journal of Real Estate Portfolio Management and reading through those things uh, is quite fun. And the next phase is, since we have our nice Bloomberg terminals, 
He gives us ideas about what we're doing and downloading data and running correlations and running regressions and trying to see uh, if there's any takeaways from here that we can bring back, uh, you know, bring back, if you will, to uh, what we're doing on a daily basis. Well, Randy, thank you very much. Uh, Actually, you are the first of the few hundred times we've asked that question to uh, recommend uh, both of those. So uh, well, we I appreciate think the second that. one probably is an outlier in the in the boring way, but I'll you know, we'll do what we do. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure I would definitely need my uh, financial dictionary with me if I were to embark on that. So give people website and contact information for those who would like to know more, will you? Sure. Um, they were at Griffin, uh, just GriffinCapital.com, G-R-I-F-F-I-N, Capital.com, and all of our different uh, offerings. Uh, there's uh, interviews, uh, white papers, and all kinds of things that you can get at, at Griffin Capital. And, you know, feel free to reach out to us anytime. All the contact information, heck, my email address is right there on the website. Just click uh, to the team, and uh, you'll, get a, you'll, get a, you'll get a picture and, uh, and uh, uh, so you can see who's behind this uh, podcast, and also you can feel free to send me an email directly. Okay, so final words for our listeners here, Randy. Well, final words for, for the listeners is always, you know, stick, stick to your knitting. Um, you know, focus, 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 focus is, um, you know, you, you, you can't ride a couple of horses with one body. you got to stick to your knitting, stay focused on what you're doing. And as a friend of mine once said, if you just, you know, if you just keep focusing on one thing, uh, eventually success will find you. So um, stay, stay in your lane, focus on what you're good at, and be the very, very best at it, and things will work out. Great advice, Randy. Thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate it and uh, hope things continue to go well for you at Griffin Capital and uh, here in Southern California. Thanks for being with us here today. Thank you so much. Again, you've been, we've been listening to Dr. Randy Anderson, president of Griffin Capital Asset Management Company. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. We'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at info at strategicinvestorradio.com and go to our website to hear podcasts of all of our interviews and shows, strategicinvestorradio.com. I'm Charlie Wright, wishing you an enjoyable week and productive investing. Strategic Investor Radio is a production of OC Talk Radio and is provided for educational purposes only. Content of this program and the views of the guests should not be considered as recommendations by OC Talk Radio or investment advice from the host Charlie Wright or any other entity attached to this production. Investors should always consult qualified financial, investment, tax, or legal professionals prior to investing.